Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. I'll take it. Anderson, thank you very much. I am Chris Cuomo. Welcome to Primetime. If you want schools to open, if you want to get some control of the pandemic, the key is the we. You must do what you can. You have to think about you and your family. Think about your community and push your local leaders. I frame it this way because help is not coming from on high. Proof? There's no plan for better testing. I hear you all over this country saying you can't get results fast enough. I know there's no plan for it to get better. There's no plan to help us reopen schools. And there is a reason for this inaction, and it has a name, Trump. Last week, he said it's going to get worse before it gets better. Now he says this. I really do believe a lot of the governors should be opening up states that uh, they're not opening, and we'll see what happens with them. You know it's going to get better. You're not helping them to reopen. They're asking you for help. And then you say, but they really should be reopening. We are seeing what's happening. Death, too much of it. Cases, too many, too fast, too many places. In fact, there's a word for it. It comes from the Greek. Pan, meaning everyone. Demos, people. Pandemic, as in affecting all people. That's what we're seeing happening. That's what Trump knows is happening. The White House can't contain the virus within its own walls. Major League Baseball can't keep players from catching COVID instead of balls. How can this president and his CDC still argue it's safe enough to reopen schools in the fall with no plan? There is no irony in the fact that Trump's national security advisor now has COVID, Robert O'Brien. Listen, I wish Mr. O'Brien well. I hope he is asymptomatic. And if his daughter has COVID also, as is being reported, I wish her well. And I hope the rest of the family is spared and anyone that he was around, especially the president. O'Brien was briefly in the White House last week after returning home from a business trip to Europe. Several pictures show him neither practicing social distancing nor wearing a mask. Think about it. The guy tasked by Trump with keeping our country secure isn't taking safety precautions and gets hit with what is arguably one of the biggest threats to our security right now. Trump said today he trusts all Americans to do the right things. His own national security advisor didn't. And many others aren't because of what he was selling them just before last week. The person you must question trusting on this is Trump. You must be outraged by the inaction. You must call on him to tell the experts around him, make a plan to increase our testing efficiency. 
Do it smarter. Get us results faster. Seven, 10 days doesn't help anybody. Have them make a plan to help states open schools. That's your damn job. You're getting killed in the polls in large part because you're not taking charge in a pandemic. Again, a virus affecting all people. More proof that all will suffer if we don't do the right things. Now the newly kicked off baseball season, a source of just a flickering moment of joy for all of us. It could be in jeopardy less than a week after it began. ESPN says 11 Marlin players, two coaches, just tested positive, forcing the team to postpone tonight's home opener and tomorrow's game. The Phillies-Yankees game also postponed. The MLB is now conducting additional testing. This is the manager of the Washington Nationals today, and he has a heart condition. I'm going to be honest with you. I'm scared. I, mean, I really am. My level of concern went from about an 8 to a 12. The major league had a plan before putting players on the field. Again, there's no guarantee here. There's major money in baseball. All that planning, all that money, these great athletes, and yet we're supposed to say, yeah, the president's right. We should just open schools. States should just open them. How are they going to keep them open? Oh, I'll tell you what's great incentive. And if you underfunded schools don't open, the president's threat to make you do it is to withhold funding that goes to the neediest of you, in large part, for feeding them. Seriously? Look, look at the reality. Players get tested all the time, okay? Trump's own testing, uh, these, these players in baseball, they get tested a lot. Trump's own testing czar says testing's not where it needs to be. And that is a gross understatement, right? He's got to be careful what he says, otherwise he'll lose his job. So just look at the reality. You only control what you do for your family, what you can influence in your own community, and what you can demand from local leaders. I'm telling you, if you're waiting for Trump to use the federal government with all its power and influence, don't, because it's not happening. Let's bring in someone who can give us a giant dose of reality because we need it, Dr. William Schaffner. Look, I don't know about you. I'm a big baseball fan. I'm an even bigger football fan. And I knew this was going to happen, Doc. Uh, You get people in any proximity, the pandemic is going to manifest itself. Are you surprised by any of this? Uh, Chris, I'm surprised that the Yankees game was canceled tonight, but it was canceled for good reason. Obviously, COVID got into the opposition. And any time people gather together, in any kind of circumstance, whether it's a baseball circumstance or a religious circumstance, for example, or a neighborhood barbecue, statistically speaking, COVID is attending that event with someone stealthily because they have no symptoms, but the COVID virus is spreading. And that's the sort of circumstance we're in today. The virus is still ahead of us over most of the United States. We're still chasing afterwards. And opening up quickly, that's cart before the horse. You know, if we could get control of this virus, and then we could open up carefully, and that would assure the restoration of our economic life. But this COVID COVID virus has got to be dealt with first, because 
not going away. So the testing piece, I'm sure you're hearing this. More and more, even if people have access to tests, one, some of these tests, especially the faster the turnaround, the less accurate. And they're getting tested multiple times because they're like positive, negative, positive, negative. And the good, the better the testing, the longer the time. So people are saying it's taken me five days, seven days, 10 days, more than 10 days. Are you hearing that as well? And how problematic is that? Oh, well, it's hugely problematic. And of course, I'm hearing it because it's true in many, many places across the country. Some laboratories are having difficulty with their reagents, so they're having to slow down. Other laboratories are so swamped with tests that they can't turn them around in time. And that's why you have this long waiting period before the test comes back. And what use is the test then? Right. So, yeah, this is a problem across the country. Imagine that in the school context. So look, I've made no you know, bones about it. I want my kids to go back to school. It is very hard for us having them home. And I know for a lot of families, it's way harder for them because they're not blessed with the same means that I have. But I got to tell you, Doc, just on testing alone, God forbid a kid in a class gets it. You know they're going to. Now you have to test that kid. How long does it take to get the result back? So you go to a hybrid method. Few days in class, few days at home. To me, that's like the worst of both worlds. Now it screws up your work life because you have to be home sometimes, so you can't be on regular hours, and the kid's getting exposed in the classroom. I don't even know how they get to school. What does the bus driver do, Doc? And it seems to me that the solutions here have to be about public spaces and finding more staff and more spaces, but I hear nobody talking about it. What's your take on schools? My take on schools is the countries that have done it well, of course, have controlled the spread of the virus first in the community, right? They did that first. Then they opened their schools. We're in the midst of all this brouhaha, and we're trying to open up our schools. Our schools are going to try to do the very best they can. They're trying all sorts of different things. And we all hope for the best, prepare for the worst, and worry a lot because we can't predict, even we medical types can't predict exactly what's going to happen. So we'll be in a responsive mode, trying to change course kind of in midstream, adjusting to local events as they occur. And gee, there's no wonder that parents are anxious on both sides. As you say, they would like their children to go to school for lots of good reasons, but at the same time, they're cautious and indeed many times afraid. And you know what we're going to see? More inequality. Because communities where you see the virus being better controlled are going to wind up being more affluent communities. And their kids are going to get in school faster and more school. And now the kids that are in harder hit areas, and I'm telling you, they're going to correspond with poverty, are not going to be in school as much. They're not going to be as educated. They're already at an imbalance. I just don't understand why the federal government doesn't step up, Doc, and make testing more of a priority, use all the assets of this economy to get the processing better, use its assets to help these schools. We're staying on them. As we get more information, I will always look to you to help us process it. Dr. William Schaffner, be well and thank you, Doc. Be well. All right, so let's take another beat on what happened in the MLB and the NFL, by the way. But Florida Marlins, the baseball team, professor, uh, players and coaches on that team coming down with the virus. Why? You heard the doctor. You, and you know it by now, too, right? I mean, if you have people around a lot, right, in bigger numbers, what's going to happen? My point is, isn't this what school's going to look like? Sports journalism legend Bob Costas, with what 
this means for the MLB, what it means for the NFL, this breaking news out of the league. I've got the perfect guest in the perfect kitchen. Next. Breaking news, NFL Commissioner Roger Goodell has announced preseason football games are canceled. And we all know why. Coronavirus fears. This comes as Major League Baseball postpones three games in a so-called regular season that barely started. And you know why. A COVID outbreak. We're seeing a ripple effect. And is it going to get worse? Like we saw after the NBA suspended its season back in March. Let's bring in the legend, Bob Costas. Welcome back to Primetime. Hey, Chris. So you have to assume that a league sophisticated as MLB, sophisticated as NFL is, they have to know that this was likely. So what is the adjustment by MLB in context of what you would have imagined? Well, Rob Manfred said a couple of hours ago that he does not view this as a nightmare scenario. They did expect that it would happen someplace to some extent. They think that just doubling down on the extensive protocols they have will get it done. But to put it in some kind of perspective, the Marlins had 11 players test positive, plus a couple of other staff members. None of them are symptomatic at the moment. And also broader picture. Less than 1% of total personnel, players and everybody else involved, had tested positive since they got together for workouts prior to the resumption of the season and then this weekend when the season resumed. But now you have a team with more than a third of its active roster set aside. Those players would have to test negative twice before being cleared to play. So they'll dip into their minor league system. They've got 30 extra players. Each team does. They'll bring them up. They'll cancel the two games they were to have played in Miami against the Orioles. And as coincidence has it, they happen to be in Baltimore Wednesday and Thursday. They intend to play those games. The reason the Yankees-Phillies game is postponed tonight is that the Yankees would have had to use the same clubhouse that the Marlins were in yesterday when they played the Phillies. And all the Phillies players have to be tested. So I've said from the beginning, Chris, there's all kinds of needles to thread. Even with the best expertise, the best intentions, the most humane intentions. It's a tightrope walk. And to get from one end to the other is just a fingers crossed situation. And there is the possibility that eventually, somewhere along the line, there's going to be a match that turns into a tinderbox and turns into a forest fire. That's always a possibility. I hope not. You know how much I love baseball. Every time I cross paths with your dad, that was all we talked about. We talked baseball. So I hope they can get it done. But there's a whole lot of needles to thread. And, you know, look, just to emphasize a couple of things, again, they have access to the kind of testing where they can get answers fast uh, and they still have to deal with it. They expect answers by early tomorrow morning. You know, uh, most communities can't. And they Mm -hmm. knew this was going to happen. So they have different Mm -hmm. layers of insulation and how to deal with the permutations of outcome. I'm laying it out that way because with our schools, we have none of that. We can't get fast test results. We don't know what to do if we do. And it's done not with one league, but every community is its own league. Nightmare scenario. So now the NFL says no Mm preseason games uh, in an open letter because of COVID. Now, what does that speak to to you? Well, the players pushed for that before they would come back to camp. But let's look at this. The NBA is in a bubble. So is the NHL. And the NHL is in Edmonton and in Toronto, and Canada has substantially flattened the curve. Neither the NHL nor the NBA has had a single positive test 
since they entered into the bubble. But baseball is not in a bubble. 30 teams in their respective locations. Football, 32. And the best guess, and everything is a guess, as you know, but best guess is that there might be another surge in the fall and the winter. That's when the NFL season is. And when you consider the size of the rosters and the nature of the sport, contact on every play. If baseball only a few days into their resumption is running into some sort of problem, the commissioner says it's not a nightmare, but it is a problem, then just what does common sense tell you about the possibility of getting through a full football season? Doesn't now, make much sense. And, and look, I know a lot of sports insiders are saying, ah, the players never like the preseason games. That's not what this is about. Mm-hmm. They're, do you believe that no. they're using this as leverage to get something they always wanted or their fears are legit? No, I think their fears are completely legitimate. And just as an aside, there's still talk and still some intention to play college football. These players are young people who are not compensated and they have no union to protect their interests. And if you don't have a normal campus situation, if students are not at the games, if they're not attending classes in a normal way, doesn't that blow the cover on the whole idea of student athletes? We're just going to play for television money. That seems like the worst idea of all. So Bob Costas is living his life. He gets stopped all the time. And someone says, we need sports. It is huge to our national morale. And we need it now more than ever. It shows normal. And these are our heroes. We need this, Bob. Don't play to the risk. Play to the reward. What does Bob Costas say? We want sports. We don't need sports. And if if I have to prove my credentials as a guy who's interested in sports, then people haven't been paying attention. I watched a lot of baseball this weekend. I found it interesting, even with nobody in the stands and the cardboard cutouts. I hope they can play baseball. But there are legitimate issues here. And when people said this will mark a return to normal, really, when you're getting reports like this, when you're watching a game and the manager comes out to the mound that he's wearing a mask and he has to socially distance, and they've got a 100 plus page protocol. And it doesn't make sense to believe that every one of these young people will, will adhere to those protocols on an ongoing basis, certainly not in baseball and football because they're not in a bubble. To me, it's a reminder every time you watch a game, even if you're, even if you're enjoying it, of how abnormal circumstances are. Although conversely, in a way, Bob, it is the new normal because until we get the yeah. pandemic out of our way, everything is going to be affected. Um, and, Agree. You know, it's the new normal, but yes. it's not a return to the old normal. No way. I don't know that you can until, you know, you get at least a year from now, assuming we don't keep screwing it up. I mean, there is one theory among mm-hmm. epidemiologists that if you keep playing it this way, it actually won't go away. And their understanding of her, herd immunity is bifurcating. Some are saying, well, eventually it will just get us where we need to be. And others are saying, no, actually, you need such a high percentage of the population. You can play it out like this and get killed by death by a thousand cuts if you don't take it seriously. I wonder if the sports will be a catalyst for communities to think, you know what? If they're getting sick, we have to take it seriously. What do you think? Last thought to you. Well, you know, very often sports focuses people's attention. It may seem relatively unimportant, but it cuts across all demographic lines. Um, I think that baseball, and I have to stipulate how much I love baseball and my fingers are crossed that they'll be successful, but baseball might have been better off taking a look at the big picture and saying even before they started, there are too many whys and wherefores here. We can't play a full regular season. There are health concerns. Fingers crossed for a vaccine. No season in 2020. We hope we can come back and play a full year under safe conditions in the spring of 2021. In the meantime, God bless you. Good luck and goodbye. 
they would have actually looked more statesmanlike than anybody else in this circumstance if that had happened. But here we are, and we'll see what happens now going forward. Well, look, if this is any indication, uh, if schools just open, we're going to see a lot of problems in terms of what they're prepared for and what they're not. It's as good a chance that it goes out without a hitch as it is that the Nationals call up Tony Fauci to be their new reliever. <laughs> yeah, that, that, that first pitch was, uh, was a, just, as Bob Uecker would say, just a bit outside. <laughs> hey, here's my defense. Tony Fauci was a shortstop, Bob. He was going to first. He was going to first. Yeah. That was the throw. It but was the, to first. The throw, the, throw, the throw wouldn't have made it that far. It was... Now, a parenthetical aside, I know you got to go. The Minnesota Vikings head trainer and infection control officer tested positive. So too did members of his family. Doesn't that tell you where we are to a certain extent? Yep, it does. And we keep learning the same lesson. When will we do something about it? Bob Costas, value added. Thank you very much. Thanks, CC. All right. Horrible situation uh, that is made more horrible by how it's being approached. A Black Lives Matter protester, okay, shot and killed this weekend, Austin, Texas. You can hear the gunfire in this video. Everybody back up! Now, how do you make something like that worse? Well, the bizarre nature is that it seems to be processed through the lens of politics. I say this matters, this situation, and it must be framed through the facts. We have a witness to the shooting next. A man protesting police brutality was killed Saturday night in Austin, Texas. His name was Garrett Foster, and he went to the demonstration with his wheelchair-bound fiance. Foster was legally carrying an AK-47 style rifle, something he was actually interviewed about on social media. Take a little listen. They don't let us march in the streets anymore, so got to practice some, some of our rights. This was not the only time he did this, okay? Uh, he was kind of known within that protest movement for coming this way. Now, here's the salient part. At some point, a car got involved with the protesters. Some say it was just driving through an intersection. Others say it burst onto the scene. Either way, Foster was in a crowd of protesters that surrounded the car. Then this happened. Everybody back up! What do we know? The driver opened fire. They told police that when they called 911, so we know that. We know someone else in the crowd also opened fire. Not the man you just saw being interviewed, though. There are no reports of Foster firing his weapon. All of the guns were legal. Take that off the table. This is not a conversation about, was it right to have the gun, wrong to have the gun. Under Texas law, everybody there was okay, legally. Nobody has been arrested. Why? Police say they are investigating and the application of stand your ground, which is a defense to any homicide charge that uh, you were in reasonable fear of serious injury. Does that exist here? If it, if it is, there's not going to be any more to the investigation. There won't be any charges. That's not uncommon in Texas. What we don't know, the identity of the shooter who killed Foster. Why? If there's no charge, if there's not a suspect, they won't name the person necessarily. 
Cops say they won't release that name until someone is arrested. We don't know if Foster ever raised his weapon or even spoke with the driver. You will, though, because there are a lot of people there. You will know that. Police will find that out if they endeavor to. We also don't know what the driver was doing before the car was surrounded, but we will because there were a lot of witnesses. Let's start piecing this together. It matters too much. James Sasanowski was there. He heard the gunfire. He saw what went down. Welcome to primetime. I'm sorry you had to live through this, but I appreciate you taking the opportunity to help us understand it a little better. Simple question. When it comes to this, what did you see? We were marching north up Congress Avenue. There was a jet black luxury sedan headed east on 4th to turn right onto Congress, where there were, to head south, where there were hundreds of protesters. The thing I want to make extremely clear, and any witness will tell you this, but many of them are dealing with their things. They haven't come out like I have. The driver intentionally and aggressively accelerated their vehicle into a crowd of people. That is extremely clear. Wait, let's question, let's question it as we go, James, because it's an important detail. Uh, because there are others who say uh, that the driver was there, according to normal traffic, blocked by protesters, became spooked, and was trying to get away from a threat. And that's what you're calling accelerating. No, 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 no. That's not true at all. Not even close. He was at the intersection, wanted to turn right. I don't even know if he used his blinker. We were coming up Congress. We were going perpendicular to the way that his car was facing. And he accelerated into and through his turn and almost ran a bunch of people over. Uh, this, like I said, this was intentional. It was aggressive. And he accelerated into a crowd of protesters. He could have waited for us to pass or he could have gone slowly. and We would have allowed him to go through. It wouldn't have been a problem. There was... Uh, other traffic here and there. There's mostly blocked off, but he could have made it through just fine. He intentionally accelerated into the crowd. He incited the violence, period. So when he did that, that's when protesters started to surround the car. Did you see Foster? I did not see Foster specifically. Uh, yes, protesters, of course, surrounded the car because they almost ran, over, ran people over. They started smacking his windows and stuff. Eventually, a bunch of people jumped in the way. Car had to stop, had to stop abruptly, suddenly, which is what happened. I was about 20 feet away from the window, a little bit. I was kind of in the, behind the car, almost, off to the side a little bit. And uh, I was kind of looking forward, looking back over my shoulder, forward and back. While I was looking forward, I heard the first few shots. And then I turned over my shoulder, and I saw sticking out of, fully extended, out of the driver window was his left arm with a handgun in his hand. And I watched several more shots get fired. I saw the orange flashes off the top of the gun. In the moment, I thought that he was firing indiscriminately into the crowd. Obviously, now we know that he was aiming specifically at Garrett. But we don't, we don't know did, what he was doing. We know he hit Garrett. And the issue became, why did he fire at Garrett? Now, on that, Garrett Foster, the deceased, uh, on that, you can't help us. Isn't that the truth? Because you didn't see what happened before. So I didn't, I don't know whether or not Garrett pointed his gun at the vehicle. The driver called 911 the moment he started driving away. 
He knows how to play the system, clearly, because he called the authorities. He got his story in first. That's how you play these things and try to get in as least trouble, the, the smallest amount of trouble possible. He knew, how to, he knew how to play this. What I saw was his arm was perpendicular. Like I said, it looked like it was in his in the crowd. Out of the five bullets that he shot, three of them went into Garrett. You cannot tell me that that was not intentionally aimed at Garrett. It obviously was. Now, I understand. What did people sense. tell you about what happened before? Uh, it was from the moment the car stopped to when the first rounds were fired was less than 10 seconds. It was extremely rapid. There was not a lot of turnaround time. Uh, there, it was just people screaming at the car, obviously. I don't imagine that there was any kind of real conversation going on. Um, you know, I... Uh, Did anybody I, tell you I, that they saw the victim point the weapon at the shooter? Nobody has told me that. I have not heard any witnesses say that they saw Garrett point at, point at the shooter or at the vehicle. But I want to be very clear that the driver incited the violence. He accelerated into the crowd of people and he shot first. I understand. James, look, I know this is going to hit you in waves. This is a very hard thing uh, to be around when it happens and know what the result was. Um, you're, I know why you were there. I know you were there uh, to fight for justice, and justice is what we should all want in this situation after a thorough investigation. Thank you for helping people understand uh, what you saw, what you heard, and what you didn't see, and what you didn't hear. James Sasanowski, yes, last word to you, quickly. Uh, I want to emphasize that this comes back to Black Lives Matter. If black lives mattered in this country, we would still have Garrett today. It is in your own self-interest as a privileged person to support marginalized groups of people. Thank you, Chris. I will see you soon. You have a nice night. James, you too. Be safe. All right. So our next guest says, look, Foster may have been there for good reason, but he did something bad in this moment. He had it coming. Our next guest used to be a member of the Austin PD. He now leads the Austin Police Department's union. What is his argument and why is he making it? Next. Investigators in Austin, Texas are still sorting out what happened at the BLM protest shooting that resulted in one man being killed, as well they should. However, at the same time that the investigation is ongoing, the head of the police union there tweeted this out, saying, quote, Foster was looking for confrontation and he found it. That man is Kenneth Cassidy, president of the Austin Police Association. Thank you for joining us on Primetime. Good evening, Chris. Thanks for having me. All right. Mr. Cassidy, is an officer, to your understanding, is there an Austin police officer involved in this? No, there's not from what I understand. Okay, thank you. My question is, why am I talking to you in the context of what your role is here? Why are you putting out statements about this shooting if it doesn't involve an Austin police officer? Why have you become the proxy for the man who shot this protester? You know, we've been uh, battling back and forth with our city council to, to stop allowing uh, these protests. Normally, you have to have uh, a permit and folks are coming down and just marching up and down Congress Avenue and various streets on a nightly basis. And it makes it very difficult uh, for us to keep up with the proper security that these folks need when they're, when they're expressing their, their uh, First Amendment rights. So uh, 
that is one of the big issues that we've had. And then also um, the person that's been down there videoing, uh, uh, Gilbert Hiram, that's uh, uh, been doing a fantastic job of getting the info out. The same gentleman has been showing up with AK-47 protesting in front of the city manager's house. So it's it, it was a problem, uh, you know, and, and wow. you look like you're, 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 you're picking a fight when you're out standing in front of the city manager's house, uh, you know, uh, intimidating them, trying to get them to. Well, hold on, hold on, hold on. I'm surprised to be hearing this uh, from somebody from Texas. Uh, he has the right to cover the carry the long arm and he, Absolutely. Can, he can carry it wherever he wants. And Mr. Foster had that same right. What I'm saying is, as someone who represents police officers who are in the business of protect and serve, why would you put out a statement that Foster got what he was looking for as if he deserved to be shot? All I was trying to put out was the information with his interview that uh, was made a couple hours before uh, this incident occurred. And I thought that it was relevant for people to see that. Well, how is it relevant for people to see that you think he was supposed to be shot based on his own behavior? It's relevant because he... (laughs) It sounds like you just like the idea that the guy got shot because you don't like that he was there, which kind of screams of insensitivity, which is fine as a citizen. But as someone who reps Austin police officers, it seems like you shouldn't be putting that out there. Chris, he was down there peacefully protesting for several days with the the, uh, firearm. Right. And then he comes out and interviews and tells people that uh, no one's going to stop him from doing it because everyone's a bunch of pussies. So uh, that that's to me is relevant. Uh, and he said he would not point it at cops because he knew he'd get shot. So when you tell the citizens of Austin that I'm going to march wherever I want to and you can't do anything because you're a bunch of pussies, to me, that's relevant. Well, what I heard him say in the clip we just played was uh, they won't let us exercise our First Amendment right. So I have to exercise what rights I can. I have a Second Amendment right. So I'm going to exercise that. I didn't hear uh, what you were suggesting. But even if he did say that, even with your incredibly forgiving stand your ground law uh, that gives someone no need to or requirement to retreat, you still have to prove that the person in the car had a reasonable fear of serious injury before firing at the person. So just having the AK-47 doesn't create that, does it? No, it does not. Um, You know, like I said in TV interviews with our local news stations tonight, the difference will be, you know, was he walking around with it or were the witnesses correct that said that he came up and pointed it at the individual? Um, so far, uh, neither person that fired rounds that night had been arrested. And this is most likely a case that will go to the either a grand right. jury or a DA will refuse to indict. Well, they'll either charge or not. They let the guys go home. I am. I see that as one of the most bizarre things here. And I know. If uh, they, I, it's just so surprising to me that in, in this instance, there's no probable cause when you have a bunch of witnesses around saying that Garrett Foster didn't point his weapon at the man and that, if anything, his belief was unreasonable. And yet they get to go home. No small irony, as people are arguing uh, for better justice for black people in this society. Uh, very rarely you ever hear a story about black people going home after killing somebody uh, because maybe they have a defense, maybe they don't. But my last question to you, Ken, is I want to make sure you're sensitive to this. Uh, the police are being looked at with a lot of scrutinies th- these days, fairly and unfairly. Do you think it's the right time to put out a message like the one you did, like, hey, this is what you get 
Chris, uh, we put I put that out um, because I thought the community needed to know, and maybe in hindsight, it wasn't the uh, best thing to do. But I stand by what I did, and you but know. But if it wasn't I, the best I, thing to do, why don't you? Not to be what Foster was referring to people as when they're, you know, too scared to do something. Why don't you say, I shouldn't have done it? It's the wrong message to say anything that seems in any way justifying violence where someone wound up dead, especially as someone who represents the police. I shouldn't have said that. Don't stand by it. Step away from it and say it was wrong. Why don't you do that? Well, you know, Chris, I I put it out there. Uh, I thought that it was important for people to see that. And I stand by what I did. Other people disagree. And, and uh, you know, it, uh, I just think that it was the best thing for the community to know at that time, uh, especially with the individual showing up and, and uh, marching in front of city council people's houses and, and the city manager. To me, that, that shows that, uh, you know, you're trying to intimidate uh, our sitting city council members and our city management. Mm. Uh, so I felt like that was important for them to know. And that's, that's it. Well, you know what else is intimidating? Taking a handgun, pointing it outside a car and firing into a crowd and killing somebody. That's intimidating also. But Kenneth Cassidy, I appreciate you coming on the show to make your case. I wish you well, and I hope the situation is resolved in the interest of justice. Thank you, Chris. I appreciate you. All right. We'll be right back. Congressman John Lewis, may you rest in peace. The conscience of Congress now lying in state at the top of the steps of the Capitol so the public can pay respect to a man who made good trouble. Arrested more than 40 times, he sat in the wrong places, used the wrong bathroom on purpose. As a result, he was beaten. Skull cracked open by a cop's billy club because he was fighting the good fight through nonviolence, letting the beatings, the brutality reflect the reality. He did it for equal voting rights was heroic, patriotic, brave, and he also called it famously something else. I would see those signs that said white men, colored men, white women, colored women, white waiting, colored waiting. And I would ask my mother, my father, my grandparents, and my great-grandparents why. They would say, boy, that's the way it is. Don't get in the way. Don't get in trouble. But in 1955, 15 years old, the action of Rosa Parks, the words and leadership of Dr. King inspired me to get in trouble, what I call good trouble, necessary trouble. Now, I was borrowing from Brother Lewis when I said, who says protest is supposed to be peaceful and quiet and polite? I know it says peaceful in the First Amendment, but if you just go and sing your songs and go home, nothing changes. And that's what he was encouraging. So what's the difference between good trouble and what? Bad trouble. All right, I'll tell you what the difference is. It's a test of where the trouble leads. Yeah, that's right. Ends and means. What's gained by the trouble? Freedom rides, marches, arrests, blood. They led to desegregation. The ongoing Black Lives Matter protests. In one of his later interviews, Lewis called them good trouble. Not the riots, not touching to hurt, not touching to destroy. That is criminal. That's not what Lewis did. And that's not what he was espousing. And cheapening what we're seeing now by those aberrant acts is really bad trouble at work. You are ignoring the reality and you are picking on the aberrations for bad reason. 
And where do we see that? The other side in Portland. This isn't about calling out men and women being sent in. It's about the man sending them in. President Trump is making bad trouble. He says the federal forces are protecting federal property from violent anarchists. Local officials say they didn't ask. Local officials say they're making it worse. So what's gained? Oh, for Trump, we know what it is. This perverse pandering to white Americans about law and order. For the rest of us, nothing is gained. When you abuse your power, you hurt your power. You hurt all of us. Bad trouble. Same goes for the president's will he or won't he relationship with masks. Bad trouble. Today he wore one. Yesterday, he chucked MAGA hats into a crowd of supporters in Jersey. Why didn't he toss masks? Why didn't he even wear one? Why not? That's the question. That would have been good trouble. A week ago, he called wearing a mask patriotic. Now, who knows? Bad trouble. John Lewis put his life on the line for the good fight. He made good trouble. There's a difference between that and what we see with this president. And that difference means everything to our future. We'll be right back. Thank you for watching. I introduce you now to a man who is all about making good trouble. CNN Tonight's anchor, <laughs> Dylan. I love good trouble. Man, we're going to miss John Lewis, aren't we? But, uh, uh, we a- will. But the hope is always when a great man or woman goes that the legacy lives on. Yeah, of course. And if people fight in that name, and there's a big difference between good trouble and bad trouble. Uh, And people are doing just what they did back in John Lewis's earlier days. They're confusing the two and they're doing it for their own agenda and animus. And it's dangerous. Can I ask you something? Of course. I didn't hear the the entire show. Did your dad know him? My dad did know him. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't know if you talked about it on the show. Did you? No, 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 no. no. I mean, his, his, his legacy is far bigger than any familiarity, but I will tell you um, that my father was greatly inspired as an Italian American by the black American experience. Now I know people have stereotypes and stigmas about Italians and how they were and how they, and there's true. There was a, there was a lot of bigotry. Uh, and there was a lot of violence. Uh, My pop, though, came out of a slice of that immigrant reality that was poor. Uh, He grew up around a lot of black Americans. He was in their weddings. They were his friends. They were ballplayers, even at a time when it didn't happen. And he was inspired that you fight the good fight. You take on power. You lose a lot. But it doesn't feel the same because you know you're fighting for the right reason. Yeah, it hurt my heart. To be honest with you, I'm going to be really, I couldn't watch a lot of it. I was... Uh, talking to uh, Brenda, his person in D.C. over the weekend, just texting. And it, was, it just hurts, man. I mean, we're losing, you know, we're losing a lot. I spoke with Andrew Young the night that it was announced that he died and uh, Ambassador Young. And it's just it's just tough. We want him to live a, a much longer life. But we're losing a lot of our icons and a lot of people who fought the good fight for all Americans, including, and you know, they say imitation is the best form of flattery. A lot of people who have uh, fought for their rights over the years, including the women's movement, um, the LGBT, the gay rights movement, have really mimicked the black movement, right? The movement for civil rights in this country. And, you know, it's a great thing. It's a great, people like John Lewis taught us how to fight. And and again, we're going to miss him. Sacrifice is great. And look, obviously, uh, it was significant on a lot of levels that uh, a few people on the right confused pictures of John with Elijah uh, Cummings. Um, And yeah, sure, I guess there's similarities there. But I'll tell you why it was also interesting. Elijah was one of those guys who had picked up the mantle and ran. Yeah. Um, And I knew Elijah Cummings well. 
I spent a lot of time Elijah with him. Elijah didn't take no guff, man. I walked the streets with him, as you'll remember, when you oh, were anchoring yeah. in Baltimore. Yeah. Elijah saved my ass more than once yes. uh, down there. And to see how people came around him and respected him yeah. and responded to what he was saying about who the enemy was and who it wasn't. Um, now who will pick up the mantle? Who will run? And yeah. will it only be black people? I hope not. Nope, I don't think so. I think the, the kids who are out there um, are going to pick up the mantle. And you know what? We have to in our very own way. Not all of us can be active. Here's the baton, brother. We can do everything that. And thank you for passing the baton. Run and like you were headed to the buffet. <laughs> I, didn't, <laughs> I didn't get to see you all weekend, but I heard everywhere you went. Chris was here. Chris was here. And I was like, thank goodness. You got Is your fancy gone? friends now. You're a big deal. Everybody wants to hang out with you. You'll come back to me in the winter. <laughs> I know. When, when I don't have anything else to do. I know. I'll be there. <laughs> See you later. I love you, Don. I love Harmon. you too. Have a good night. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. I'm Dr. Sanjay Gupta, host of the Chasing Life podcast. In honor of our 10th season, we want to hear from you. Leave us a message at 470-396-0832 and tell us how you chase life. It could be used on an upcoming episode.